Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. Are you still listening? Good. Take a deep breath. You needed a break. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. So, yes, you can literally stream a stream. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. Welcome, everyone, back to the broadcast. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24 7 Sports Network. And I am joined on this eve, eve, eve of the holiday season. By Tracy Pearson. We're feeling charitable. We are feeling the glad tidings of the new year coming around the corner. All is well. All is well. And all manner of things will be well. Tracy, how are you? <laughs> I'm good, Dave. First off, you you made me spit out my coffee with that welcome. That was uh, really amazing. Secondly, only, like you said, only glad tidings here. Nothing. How, I mean, this is gonna this is gonna be one of the most positive, life affirming podcasts. Uplifting. Up we any are going to Bruin lift fan you up. has ever listened to. You're gonna come away just literally like three inches, walking three inches off the ground. I thought there was gonna be a different three inches, but I'll take it. Uh, we <laughs> are we are ready for the positivity to flow here on the broadcast. So many things to discuss, Tracy. Signing day. <sighs> Uh, basketball's recent performance. Uh, <laughs> I like how your voice lilts at the uh, <laughs> basketball recent performance. Where would you like to start? What what where, what position would you like to be in to begin this? Let's just say this might. Um, what we have to talk about might be the most overwhelmingly. Um, <laughs> there's nothing positive to talk about. Women's basketball. Women's basketball. Women's basketball I, I, is straight I, crushing. I haven't watched. They are. They're really good. They're so yeah. talented. They just overwhelm other teams. Yeah. Um. Yeah, but I haven't watched. I need to watch women's basketball. More. I need to watch a lot. I, honestly, I need to watch it like from a personal, um, you know. Cathartic experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To no, see need, someone I, that has UCLA yes. like wearing that jersey and they're actually dominating and good. Yeah, no, I was debating actually um, getting women's basketball season tickets this year. I was debating it with my kids. Um, from sources, well, that's pretty amazing. From sources, yeah. we've heard that women's basketball NIL might surpass, <laughs> I'm starting out on a really good note, oh, might surpass it. UCLA football NIL. That would be beautiful. Um, wow. Okay. All right. We're we're going off the rails here early. We're going down. We're we're going downhill from that little. Tidbit. We were, we were tra- <laughs> Tracy. We had a we had an idea. We were going to keep this uplifting. We're down to two minutes. But we said the way we're going to be uplifting is by the happiness in our voices as we deliver <laughs> these death blows. Yeah. Yeah. We've both cut off oxygen to our respective offices, and so here we are, um, getting a little giddy. Um, let's talk about football first. Let's talk about football first. Um, let's just do it in reverse order. Okay. Last night, um, as expected, but I, I, I'm going to describe my visceral reactions because it was expected. Uh, Danton Lynn went to USC a few weeks ago, and as expected, after um, doing a little kayfabe in the portal, Kamari Ramsey, after pretending to visit a couple other schools, uh, did what everyone knew he was going to do. 
which was go across town to USC uh, to follow his defensive coordinator. And then John Humphrey, who went in the portal uh, last Monday, uh, joined him. Um, I, so I, I know, I, like, I do a little performative bit where I'm like, you know, uh, get like ostentatiously like angry or outraged about things. But like, I'll be honest, I'm a 38 year old man. Like, I don't really feel like, you know, deeply strong emotions. This one hit me where I was like in the middle of like getting my kids ready for their showers and stuff. It was like 6 PM, like doing all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I got to write something because this is absolutely ridiculous. Something about this whole thing where losing your defensive coordinator because you're not willing to pony up a few hundred grand more, uh, losing two of your starters. And they're okay. And this is another side note. Uh, people are poo pooing uh, John Humphrey. Um, not as much Kamari Ramsey, but John Humphrey. And it's. I'm I'm really baffled by it because John Humphrey became a credible Pac-12 starter at cornerback this year. Was he before? No. Was he this year? Absolutely. This is a big loss. If you if you are a developmental program, to not reap the rewards of your players developing into playable pieces by their fourth and fifth year, you are failing. That's a failure. That's a massive failure. That's the thing that you need to actually reap the rewards of. That's how you have culmination years if you are a developmental program. Anyway, to see all of that happen um, really hit me kind of viscerally because it's like, oh, I know what this is. This is UCLA fitting into a position firmly and uh, decisively below USC from an organizational standpoint. Let me read something to you. That was, quote, that was a big plus for sure. I'm close I'm close with Coach Lynn, and I know what he can do. I know his defense already, so it's a great fit for me. He turned the defense around for us at UCLA, that that um, minor program. And I'm confident he can do the same. At, I threw that part in. And I'm confident he can do the same at USC. It's an exciting opportunity for me, and growing up, I never really had a dream school, but always thought it would be great to play for USC, and now I'll have that chance. Mm. So, everyone out there. That was Murray Ramsey's quote, by the way. Yeah, everyone out there. So, certainly, did NIL play a role in this recruitment? Absolutely. And we'll get back to that in just a second. But, do you think he portals as easily and as quickly uh, and portals across town as easily and quickly. If Danton Lynn is given a 500 to $1,000 to a $1 million raise at UCLA to stick around. I don't, I don't think that it, it's, I think you, yeah, it's I think all, you're probably, probably looking at Kamari Ramsey and John Humphrey still in a UCLA uniform next year. It's almost like there's a little gremlin that is just, burrowing its way into the collective brain of the UCLA admin and somehow it's getting them to self-sabotage. I mean, we've heard all of the reasons why this is happening. But this one really, to see Kamari Ramsey in a USC unit, this, like you said, this isn't Kyle Ford, who was the fifth, the fifth best wide receiver at USC coming over to UCLA for playing time. This is one of might be the most talented player returning to UCLA next year. Mm -hmm. 
And he, in his, I'm reading into it, but in his comments, it's, it, you can hear the attitude, like what you said in your story yesterday, UCLA is a minor league club that develops talent for other bigger programs. It's, it's literally here functioning as, you know, a mountain West team for USC. Mm-hmm. Let that all sink in. That's a minor league affiliate. A minor league affiliate. That's, they are Lake Elsinore. That's what is happening right now. Um, yeah. And it's, and the part, and this is something I was railing against a couple weeks ago, the part where you let Danton Lynn leave cannot happen. It just can't. Um, and if USC is going to overpay, then sadly, you must overpay. Because there's an optical problem, and then there's cascading effects. Now, and I just, before we, so what I've heard over, and what I've heard for years, but specifically about Chip Kelly's job description, so much in the athletic department and among donors, USC, uh, UCLA's sense of itself is contingent a great deal on how it does against USC, right? Um, so it beat USC, you know, pretty decisively. So everyone was kind of feeling good about themselves. Um, uh, Kyle, uh, Kyle, just to give you a sense of, of this mindset, Kyle Ford was a big get last year, even though he was the fifth option at wide receiver for USC. Because the administration and donors, it really resonates that they were stealing some guy from USC. That That is so big a thing for UCLA, specifically for UCLA donors. Uh, that's the way they, uh, the UCLA NIL uh, collective raised money by telling donors that we stole a guy from USC. Um, and that, so you have to know how much it resonates with UCLA donors and the admin to get one up on USC. Um, that moves the needle at UCLA football, which is crazy to me. And I, we want to even discuss why that's ridiculous. So you would think the flip side of that, when you lose your best defensive returning player to USC and then your starting cornerback and, and then your young star of a defensive coordinator all to USC, I'm just hoping, and I haven't heard that much from donors about it. I just hope on this whole USC uh, resonance thing that this is really hitting big there. I, I mean, the thing is, and this is where I think that it obviously must, unless it's just pure um, positivity thinking, it hit for me. And I don't, this is the kind of stuff I don't typically and you're not an uninformed, well-heeled donor, Dave. <laughs> exactly. There I'm are so many guy. things in that sense that you're not, right? Yeah. I'm you are a not gag. a donor. You can't be a donor, right? You're not uninformed. It's true. Yeah. And your, he- your heels are just fine. My heels are uh, merely adequate healed. Yes. I'm adequately healed. Um, 
Sometimes. Sometimes my shoes are in uh, disrepair and I must get new God, ones. God, I remember those flip-flops back from college. You know, yeah. yeah. There was also the pair of tennis shoes that made the like Darth Vader sound when I stepped around. <laughs> um, Do they still exist? Uh, the shoes? Or the flip-flops? Uh, I mean, those don't. I'm I'm hard on uh, on shoes because I have big aggressive feet. Yes, you have aggressive feet. Yeah, that my should toe, be the name of toe. your your uh, autobiography. Aggressive my big toes feet. poke through my shoes inevitably, always. <laughs> Fred Flintstone esque. Yes, exactly. Sorry, go ahead. Um, but uh, so the 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 idea that um this is in any way acceptable, like this is an acceptable result is, I mean, and people are providing their explanations for it. They're like, well, this is just the portal era. This is just what happens. This is all, you know, kind of just par for the course. And, you know, you so is going to have to live with it. And, um, all of this could have been stopped. All of this could have not happened. If UCLA ponies up for Dan Lynn and UCLA also redirects $3 million in WAF donations to NIL. Yeah. Uh, and and there's, both of yeah. those things are within the purview of the athletic department. And they have chosen not to do those things. Well, and it's just, it, it takes, there's a lot going on here. So much of it didn't just happen this week, but it's happened. It's the result of two years. Initially, UCLA did not want to recognize NIL. And there were so many forces on on why that is. UCLA Athletics, UCLA overall is a conservative entity. Oh, this little upstart NIL thing, we're not going to um, involve ourselves in that. It will probably get, you know, changed by uh, the NCA soon anyway. So they were slow on the uptake to get involved. Remember, it still has, they 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 did some, what, what's that organization they put together? They And they thought, and they'd release a press release about that and it would look like they were doing- The Westwood Exchange? It look, the Westwood Exchange. I mean, if not literally for Ken Grayware, who stepped up on his own individually to create an NIL, I don't know if there'd be another- if there are another, don- it would have taken a donor to do it. And I don't know if there's another donor. I, I, I know a few donors and they've talked about this and I don't know any other donor who would be capable of doing it. That would have time on his hands, knows money, knows marketing. I, I think UCLA's NIL would be literally at zero right now if it weren't for this one guy. So and he was he was swimming against the stream against UCLA for a very long time. The WAF fundraisers were literally competing with NIL. And I'm not saying that's alleviated yet. So this isn't like this just happened last week. This is something that's been building for two years, the result of something that's endemic to UCLA the way uh, the the NIL thing really was the perfect storm it's it's a little crass right um it might be just uh, a thing that comes and goes really fast uh it has to do with money i mean there's so many things about it that just weren't UCLA and i don't think they've fully embraced it now there are 
still the UCLA athletic department is still raising money for WAF new, new funds that anyone who has any kind of sensibility about this would say that should be NIL money, but they are still defiantly doing it. And a lot of it is also because the donorship and we can talk all about, uh, I think we should get a little bit into the nature of UCLA donors because everyone talks about it, speculates about it. Um, UCLA's, Donors are generally pretty old. Uh, Mm -hmm. They have money, but they don't know much about the sports. And they have people from UCLA's athletic department calling them up, getting them to donate. And a lot of them don't even know what's going on. And if they do know NIL, they resent it because they think that's a crass little thing that's happening in college sports and I won't contribute to it. And the UCLA administration has promoted that because it only benefits them to get WAF donations. So uh, while UCLA's donor slate has has expanded, you know, you and I talked about this the other day, that they haven't done enough. To, so many fans on the forum say, well, why, what about this billionaire? What about this billionaire who's a UCLA grad? You're not going to get money from them. You know, you're just not. That's not what they do. They're going to give, they don't even know if sports exists. You're not going to suddenly convince them, you know, to to turn around and, you know, Geffen isn't suddenly going to give $50 million to sports. He's just not. But what you could have done, UCLA is manufacturing millionaires very quickly. They graduate from UCLA. They start a business. They, 10 years later, They've made their first million. Now they've started, they've sold their company. And it was the easy thing to do to go after all the old donors who don't know the sports and get six figures out of them for WAF. That's the easy, lazy way. The The smart long-term play would have been to get all of these potential UCLA multi-millionaires early, get them on board, get them well-versed in football and basketball. So by the time they're 30, 35, they'd be fans and they'd be writing checks. And that has not happened. That's one of the biggest failures of what's happening in the athletic department. Right now, they're just, there isn't a, a wide list of young donors that have money. So, I wanted to just lay the groundwork there for where we're going with our conversation. So keep going, Dave. Yeah. I mean, I, I think um, all of that, uh, all of what's going on with um, NIL, um, I, I think you can lay it at the feet of um, this administration. And I think, you know, what I'm talking about is in the immediate term, getting your existing donors because beating the beating the bushes for all of the um, new money takes time. It has to happen. Absolutely has to happen. If this is going to be a successful endeavor in the medium to long term. But right now, what they could be doing is having people redirect funds that they are not doing that. Like what is most important to an athletic department? Anyone out there? Anyone? 
It's a successful football program that makes money. Do you know why? Because that is what supports all the other programs. What is the most important factor for supporting your football program right now? I would say it's twofold. Making sure you have a successful coach. And by successful coach, I do not mean one who is winning 11 games a year. What I mean is one who has not yet failed. That is the definition of successful in college football. Somebody who has not yet failed. And you need money for recruits. That's Those are the two factors. Right now, they are retaining a failed coach. And that is demonstrable. I, I'm not going to get into that whole thing again. No, it's a, please, it's please. A, it's a failed regime. We're now watching the aftershocks of failure. But on top of that, you're also not funding any of the apparatus needed to make that palatable for another year. Um, so it's a dereliction of duty above Chip Kelly. It's a dereliction of duty at the administrative level because neither of the... Neither of those main duties, which are to uh, the, the main duty is to maintain a functioning football program that can fund your other programs. Uh, neither of the main factors with doing that are being met. Neither of those main duties are being met. They're not firing the failed head coach. The right time to fire a failure is always right now. And I know from a timeline perspective, it sometimes doesn't make sense. You don't want to do it in March. That's why people do it right after a season. You know when the real time was, Dave? Was after the ASU game. Correct. But the, the right time is always right now. Right now would be the right time. Friday, December 22nd would be the right time. It's always right now or yesterday. Um, so they're not doing that. And then on top of that, UCLA's NIL in football right now is currently funded at a worse level than I think pretty much every Big Ten program. Indiana's like double. So... Those two factors, I mean, what is it that, uh, and this is, you know. And, I, and wait, right there, just want to say, because I've been saying for a while, there are a lot of donors sitting on the sidelines. There are. People have questioned that. At this point, there have been so many things that have turned out to be true that you and I have said over the last month and a half to do. So just please trust me on this. There are donors waiting on the sideline who won't donate NIL money as long as Chip Kelly is coach. That's yeah. just, that's just, why do you think UCLA is at this number of NIL compared to Indiana? Do you think it's, it's not a general malaise among UCLA um, donors? It, it's not. It, people are waiting on the sideline. That yeah. just, please accept that and go it, from there. <laughs> but even beyond that, and that is the, the angle of, you know, they need to make a head coaching change because people are on the sideline. Beyond that. There is an administrative failure going on because they could be redirecting existing money, people who are giving their WAF donations, and they could be saying to them, hey, we've got this new initiative. As you said, a lot of that group is the 65 and older set, right, who maybe aren't as in tune with all the changes in college football. And you would tell them, hey, we've got this new initiative. We want to take half of your WAF donation and give it to men of Westwood, or we want you to give it to men of Westwood. It's going to add this one little part of the paperwork. You need to do this. But once you do that, that's going directly to our student athletes. It's going to support them. And they'll say, yeah, sign me up. And you could be taking half of your WAF donations and putting it towards that. And does that put you a little bit more in the red from a budgetary standpoint right now? Certainly. Does it help your football program to be successful? Obviously, 
This is this is all that like uh, stepping over dollars to pick up dimes type stuff. That's what this is, and it's you know I, I was I can't remember who I was saying this to off air, uh, but it's this is the kind of stuff where I think not having people who are super invested in UCLA, like in being, and you know it's so funny because it's the opposite of the argument I always used to make, which is. You got to get somebody outside of this house. You got to get somebody outside of this house. But you isn't that crazy that we've gone opposite of that? Yeah, Just no, given the different situation. Like, yeah. None of these people are in invested in what UCLA could be. Because what UCLA is right now is, look, it's a dark time, right? What UCLA is right now and has been for the last, I don't know, decade, eight years, whatever you want to call it, um, is a poor program. It's and literally poor, and also uh, in in its performance on the on the field and and in recruiting. But you need to have some vision. You need to have some attitude about this. That oh oh I know what UCLA could be. I know what this this potential is. I know what our trajectory to use a word that was used recently could be. Um, and, and building on that vision and investing in that vision. And a lot of times when you are building something, you are taking an immediate loss for a bigger gain in the future. None of that is happening. None of it. And so right now, what we are all left with is these continuing embarrassments, these continuing things that happen that are just like, are we in bizarro world? Because... Well, 20 years yeah. ago at, at Dan Guerrero's initial press conference, and this is Dan Guerrero I'm talking about, and recognize I'm not like a big Dan Guerrero honk, but he, at his opening press conference, cited UCLA's championship potential. What changed in the 20 years since? A lot. But has anything fun, like is UCLA in a different location now? Does it exist somewhere else geographically? No, it doesn't. Um, and now we're getting, ah, uh, they won seven games in the regular season and beat SC. That's fine. That's totally okay. I don't know why people are upset. Yeah, there is um there is so much wrong. I, I've I've said it's a matter of dysfunction, uh self um self serving, uh laziness, politics from so many different angles, from the administration, from the coaching, from the donors, from it's every, everyone I've never seen anything like this. And when you're talking about Dan Guerrero, it's funny to look back. He might've been the stabilizing force. There probably all these forces were there. He might've been the stabilizing force that, that at least navigated through a lot of the stuff because now we're seeing there's nothing there. To, to stabilize it. I, I, and I, I just have to comment about this whole fallout from the Jonathan Smith to Michigan State thing where we're hearing uh, the excuse that they that UCLA couldn't afford Jonathan Smith. First off, I've talked to enough people close to this situation that says that's just a that's lazy is what it is. It's 100% lazy. That whole number when they throw out $22 million and what it would have cost and we don't have that is just flat out wrong. I, I, I mean, if you would have, and I'm not going to get all the details. I've, I've tried to present it on the message board a number of times. But 
It's misinformation. It's clickbait, Dave. <laughs> I think it's clickbait. Um, but and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna address directly the issue about Martin Jarman's uh, alleged behavior in the Pavilion Club uh, at the recent basketball game. I I will I do kind of want to talk about some of the things that have been reported that he said, and I'm not I'm not 100 sure that he said this, but I know these things to be the narrative from the admin. Um, and it's kind of a, it's a misdirection is what they're doing. We didn't have the money to afford a Jonathan Smith. That is so UCLA. UCLA is stuck between thinking they're a big time program, thinking that they deserve, there's a part of them that think they should have Urban Meyer. They deserve Chip Kelly, you know, the hottest coach, that was on the market. Um, while at the same time, they are targeting a, a Duke model for football where you run a clean program, kids aren't on police blotters, they're going to class, um, good citizens, and you're winning seven or eight games a year, and then you'll benefit from Big Big Ten media deal payout. Uh, it, it's a... It's, uh, can it's, I stop you right there? Because I have a point about that. I, I just wanted to get to one more thing. Just along these, the whole Jonathan Smith thing is a misdirection. Because as you have said, and I have said, and we've said in previous podcasts, you, to, to just sustain mediocrity because you're afraid you might throw off the mediocrity for more mediocrity is the definition of insanity. If you have a chance to trade up, you should take it. Just a minimal chance. It can't get much worse than it is right now in, in terms of how much money is being generated through Chip Kelly's program, fan support. <laughs> we could go on and on about fan support. Uh, but you couldn't get worse. So you can afford a younger coach who at minimum is no worse. First off. Secondly, as we've made this point, they should be, they should recognize their business is about hiring a coach to generate money. Whoever that is, it doesn't have to be a big name. It doesn't have to be Urban Meyer. It can be just an up and coming coach that's going to generate interest and turn around the whole attitude towards use of UCLA fans and donors and start giving to NIL. That should that should be part of their business plan. When me, things are flat and and have nowhere to go and the program's dead, hire someone new. I don't care who it is. That should be part of the business plan. Underscore that. Literally anyone. And I, I, I mean that you could hire anybody and it's better because Chip Kelly has failed. It's a it's a it's a failed system. It's a failed regime. It's it's not. There is no uh, miraculous. This is going to work out now on the horizon. You know, we've both in the off seasons the last several been like, oh well, there's a chance it could. No, it's that's done. It's kaput. 
next year. That's a, wait. That's a really good point. We've given him so many chances too. Yeah, We've given this was, program so many chances. Well, and, Not like at, at the very beginning. Remember how positive we were. He's doing it differently. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just uh, want to establish that so people don't think we've always been critical. We have, we have tried to look objectively at least at the potential positives and upside of the program. I think almost too much. Okay, keep yeah, going. It's kaput. Uh, and we'll get into the roster in a little bit when we talk about signing day. But I wanted to touch on what, something Tracy said about um, the Duke model. The Duke model is a myth. Duke is trying. Duke's ceiling is what it is. But Duke doesn't aspire to be Duke. Duke is trying to win the ACC. Problem is, Duke has limitations. They've got those fundamental limitations. But they are shooting for winning the ACC and ending up with the Duke seven wins, whatever you want to call it. You don't shoot for that. Nobody shoots for that. You're well, shooting. Well, Dave, that's not true. <laughs> it totally is. Yeah. And well, I, I mean, you're overlooking one one athletic department. But okay. Well, yeah. <laughs> but this is my point is you don't follow a model that results in a thing. You follow your attempts to make it work. And if your attempts to make it work at a, and this is the thing, we've got um, history as our guide here. Dan Guerrero, I would say, um, made a lot of bad hires trying to make it work. Uh, they fired. They fired coaches. Um, and they had one successful run, Jim Mora, getting to, you know, 9, 10, and 10 wins in back-to-back-to-back seasons. They built a building off of that. They recruited at a super high level. There is no world where you can convince me seven to eight wins is UCLA's ceiling because of the very recent history of it not being that. And Duke, I mean, if you look at Duke's history, their ceiling is kind of what they are right now. Like it's not, it's never been, it's a, it's a, it's a never has been and never will be kind of program. UCLA has been. Maybe it is a has-been, but it has been. And very recently was competing for Pac-12 titles. Um, It's been nine years of crap. And this is what I was getting to earlier about not having people who are uh, connected in any way to even the recent past. I think the only one in the athletic department is Josh Rebholtz, who really uh, was connected to Mora and the beginning part of that era. But there's, there's just this lack of understanding that that isn't – it's not ancient history. It's not – we're not talking about the 1980s with Terry Donahue. We're talking about something that was able to happen out of the friggin' Carl Durrell and Rick Neuheisel eras. You know, a similar nine-year tenure of suck. Uh, Jim Mora in the next year after that was able to win nine games and be in the Pac-12 title game. The year after that – He had the best UCLA team since 1998. This isn't, it's not impossible. It's not, it's not something that people are being unrealistic about. It's not some unrealistic expectation. It is a lack of vision and understanding. And then this idea that you can aspire to be a Duke or whatever, and that that at some level will even be acceptable to the fan base. Because first, I would say, you can't do that. Nobody aspires to be Duke and shoots for Duke and lands at Duke. You aspire to be Duke and you land at 2-9, and 2-10. and ten. That's what happens. Uh, but okay. But on top of that, 
you're going to alienate your entire fan base because Duke, their fan base, has been had had their expectations set by decades of being but UCLA fans still remember the 1980s and the 1990s, but also they remember a lot of these young alumni who got into it and you know were like, oh wow, we're building a building. This is really cool. They remember 10 years ago. That wasn't that long ago. And you're trying to level set these people. That's stupid. It's bad management. It's bad administrative work. Whatever their goals are, I'm more inclined to believe it's incompetence. You are providing an explanation for they have a goal of being Duke or whatever. Well, but my point, that comes from you say incompetence, I say real, I say laziness. They don't want and, to work. But my whole point is, whatever it is, it's incredibly stupid. And that's that's maybe the part that is most galling to me is that this isn't even a good plan. Like, it's not even... Like, you could say to me, oh, you know, UCLA, they want to go Ivy League. They want to be done with the whole thing. They want to drop the entire thing. They want to go Ivy League. They're rejecting the idea of NIL. And they just want to really bank on academic prestige. And I'd be like, uh, well, that's stupid. And that sucks. But I get it. Okay. This is just dumb. It doesn't make any <laughs> sense. It doesn't. It, it doesn't. And you're going to alienate so much of the existing fan base that remains and so much of the potential fan base that you could get back again with like two good seasons and a real investment in uh, uh, development and, and fundraising. And again, I want to reemphasize the narrative is out there that UCLA couldn't afford a new coach. Anyone would be better. And the vast majority of those any ones are completely affordable. So that, please, don't keep repeating that narrative. It's, it's, it's leaked out from the athletic department and people have adopted it. Some really nice people that I know on our forum have been, this has been leaked out and they think it's their information now. So since it's theirs, they're rep- it's, it's just not an accurate appraisal of the situation it's misinformation completely and you think it's incompetence i think it's laziness what it, it, they don't want to make they don't want to go through the effort of recognizing that getting a new coach any coach would be an advantage over and right. a boost to the program and we're not going to attribute it because <laughs> it's probably incompetence and laziness but that is that's what's happening. So, gosh, I, I think I'm just going to delete <laughs> any comment on that that says UCLA couldn't afford it because yeah. that's just not true. Well, and it's just I mean uh, that's that's a whole other. They could have saved money. Let's, UCLA let's, has a lot of accounting problems. Those yeah. aren't the same thing as money problems. You um, know, one other thing I want to talk about too, uh, since we're kind of making this about the athletic department. Uh, one of the th- really where we are with Chip Kelly too is uh, so the mindset after this, this goes back to UCLA. We think we're big time, but we're insecure about it. And we actually are small time. They hire the guy who is the biggest name on the market. They bring him in. Great. You, you made a big time move. 
There's your big time. You bring him in. Now you're so intimidated by Chip Kelly. No one oversees him and basically says, uh, no, your recruiting is not acceptable. They gave him carte blanche to do whatever, to run his program and to do uh, someone who oversaw him should have been telling him this is not acceptable. And very quickly within those first three years, the way you're doing this is not, you need to recruit better. You need to do this. And that, I know that was not done. He was given carte blanche and they were afraid to go back and really bring him to the table and say, this is not acceptable. You have to change this. So again, it's UCLA's little dichotomy of thinking they're big time. They do some, what other program would have hired the number one guy coach on the market and then cowered away from him. You, if you make a big time move, be big time, come, come back in six months to him and say, no, (laughs) we're not accepting this. You've, you've got to start talking to donors. Now there is no excuse. This is part of your job description. It's actually pretty much in his contract, uh, donor and fan engagement. I mean, he was breaching his contract. You could have helped, but they they didn't. They didn't try <laughs> because they were afraid of Chip Kelly. I mean, that's where this is. That's uh, so many things when we're talking about how we got here. It, it stems from UCLA's weird self-opinion that they're big time. They're so big time, they wouldn't go out and just get a, a coordinator. They'd have to get Jonathan Smith or Urban Meyer. But they're so small time that they they would not they can't tell Chip Kelly what to do. Yeah, yeah, it's I mean, and that that some of that is, uh, you know, feeling out because they've you know made a habit in recent times of just hiring guys who were around. You know, Carl Durrell, wide receivers coach from Denver. Okay, I mean, before that, Bob Toledo, he was your offensive coordinator. Okay, promote him. That's fine. Uh, then it's Carl Durrell, then it's Rick Neuheisel, uh, then it's Jim Mora, who's hired out of a TV studio and uh, off of a high school football field. Um, and then it's Chip Kelly, and you feel like you've really done a coup. And you know, the thing is, I think if they'd made it clear to Chip Kelly, there's going to be real demands on you, and we're going to put these demands to you, and we're going to put the screws to you to make it happen. Maybe he doesn't sign up, but... Uh, having a serious attitude about your football program is more important than any one individual, more than any one coach. And this is where I get back to the idea of having vision, having an idea of what you want your program to be and how you want it to function. And I don't mean at the football level, I mean at the administrative level. And some of this, I will, I will be kind here and say some of it there was a changeover in the middle of the tenure, right? You had Dan Guerrero, who was there when Chip was hired. Then Martin Jarman took over after Chip's second year. And then COVID. So, and then and COVID. Then COVID that's the, these are all mitigating factors that are hard to navigate. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that you get a pass because that stuff's tough. But where's the vision? Where is the idea of what this program should be, how it should be run, in what ways can you put the screws to your head coach to make sure that he does his job, all of these things. And from everything we know and have heard and can just see with our own eyes, that's all lacking. That's not happening. And 
and I, I do want to say again, this is a failure. It's failed. It's, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a electronic device that no longer works. That's what you're seeing. And maybe now we should get into signing day because what you're seeing on signing day, what you're seeing with high school recruiting, what you're seeing with the transfer portal is the, um, the, the expression of a failed regime. The reason UCLA is currently ranked in the 60s in recruiting is because the regime has failed. That's that's just it. And we we've we've kind of seen this before. You know, last last classes for a lot of coaches end up pretty bad. This should have been the last class. It wasn't. And so you're seeing you're seeing kind of a new thing now, which is UCLA trying to recruit to failure um, with a coach who should have been fired. Most of the time, Dan Guerrero was pretty good about firing guys when they got to this point. Like, they, you didn't really have, I mean, I guess Steve Alford had it a little bit. But for the most part, guys were fired when they were dead in the water. Um, Chip Kelly's dead in the water right now, but we're continuing this for some reason. So that's why you're seeing a recruiting class that looks like the one that this one. And God forbid anybody on the message board think I'm denigrating the kids who are in this recruiting class because I've seen that stupid thing said. I'm not. You'd love for all those guys to be great Bruins and the whole thing. I'm talking about numbers, and I'm talking about not having a, a, a heavy sheen of quality on top of that class. Right now, the I mean, we're, we're talking about a class of, of three stars who, uh, yeah, that's bedrock of a lot of programs, but where is uh Leatu Latu. Where is Dorian Thompson Robinson? Where are these guys? Where's Jack Charbonnet? Where's any of it? Um and that's the piece where are the offensive linemen who are going to start next year? Where are the defensive linemen who are going to start next year? Where where's the edge rush that's going to have to replace Leatu Latu, Gabriel Murphy, Grayson Murphy, Carl Jones, and Jake Heimlecker? Yeah, all five of those guys are gone. Uh they have returning for next year on the edges right now. Shea Bryant Strother and Ja'Cory Price, who I'm not sure took a defensive snap this year. He was in, I think he was entirely on special teams. I could be wrong, but I think so. Uh, and then we're anticipating that Isaiah Patterson, the true freshman linebacker, might end up at edge rush. Uh, that was the best part of the defense this year, and they lost all of those guys. And do you know what costs a lot of money in the portal? Edge rush. Are they going to be able to attract any of those guys? Judging by what we just saw in December when they were trying to attract a lot of different guys uh, from Mountain West schools, they were trying to get a cornerback. You can see for obvious reasons why they were doing that. They were trying to get a cornerback, TJ Crandall from Colorado State. He chose West Virginia over UCLA. He's a California, he's a he's a West Coast kid. Uh, they were trying to get uh, two San Diego State offensive linemen who chose, I believe, Washington and Florida over UCLA. Um they can't even get local Mountain West talent to come in to man these positions. And they're getting a couple of guys. Marcus Ratcliffe, he's probably taking visits in January. We'll see if UCLA can get past that. Rico Flores, he's following the classic path of the Notre Dame bounce back. Great to have. And then Brian Addison, who may not get a seventh year. This is a disaster for UCLA in a cycle where they probably needed to add, and they, they still do need to add, and they probably will end up adding, will the quality be there? 25 to 30 guys. Well, uh, yeah, let's 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 put this in the perspective of where we are with the transfer portal too. Because 
this this really um, <laughs> kind of uh, finishes it off so you can understand just exactly where UCLA is. So the transfer portal opened December 4th. It closes January 2nd. So that means we are 11 days from it closing. We are in a dead period. So no more official visits. A dead period that runs through January 11th. So after the transfer portal closes. There is the off chance. Okay, first off, the the transfer portal closes. So people who are in the transfer portal can still be recruited. It's not like that closed off. You just can't enter it anymore. Of course, if you're a grad transfer, you can enter it at any time and be recruitable. So UCLA still has the opportunity to recruit the people who, the guys who are in the portal and they remain in the portal. The only opportunity, there are no official visits on the horizon because it's a dead period. The only opportunity for official visits would be after the dead period lifts on January 12th and 13th. Uh, UCLA would like to get its transfers enrolled in semester quarter and uh, winter quarter, which starts January 8th. Mm-hmm. So the only outside chance is that it, if it wants to officially visit some more guys, bring them in, have them on the 12th and 13th. Uh, they make a quick decision and then you enroll them a week after the winter quarter starts. That's possible, but highly unlikely. So then the trans, then the transfer portal is closed. It doesn't open. So it was open for about a month. It will open again in April for two weeks. Uh, just about after UCLA spring practice. We saw that how that worked last year. That's kind of an afterthought of a spring portal uh, of a transfer portal opening. In other words, there is the chance that there could be some grad transfers who go in between now and then. And I'm sure UCLA will be looking at a few. But it's not like there's a lot of potential for transfer portal recruiting left. There, there could be some, but not a lot. Um, so they, they still have two guys. Like you, uh, um, they have four commitments. You forgot the kicker, the cow kicker. Um, there are two guys they're still recruiting that they don't look like they'd have a chance to get. Tobias Merriweather, who's a Notre Dame wide receiver, looks like he's going to Cal. He committed to Cal. He yeah. committed to Cal. There we go. And Trey Watson, uh, the Fresno State tight end. And I haven't heard anything lately, but we have heard that it's going to be tough competition for him. Um, there are some other guys they've contacted. I don't uh, If they offer them, who, you know, who knows? Uh, if they would even officially visit. As I said, I laid out that scenario. So there's a lot of this is done right now there could be a random there could be some grad transfers that then end up going in uh that's the biggest possibility right now for the transfer portal their biggest get right now out of the transfer portal was bringing (laughs) uh dave you tell me where i'm going you know where i'm going right i don't who was the biggest get so far from the transfer portal for them 
Spencer Holstage. Spencer back? Holstage coming back. Yeah, I knew where you were going. And uh, and just so you know, Spencer Holstage um, was going to leave because of a family uh, situation, so he's going to move back to the Midwest. But they convinced him to stay. So that's their biggest get is just from the portal was a guy who who already went in who was a le- a starter at left guard. Yeah, that's where this that's where recruiting is. Um, High school recruiting is is bleaker. Um, they signed ten guys. Uh, I don't see any big impact. Again, not ripping on these guys. They they could very well end up to be good uh, power five players. I don't see any really big impact guys for for next year among the ten they signed. There's one guy, Blake Tabarachi, who uh, broke his femur, so they offered him the gray shirt. Uh, he's looking for other opportunities. He, he wants to be able to go to a school and actually rehab at a school at a college. So, I'd say good chance that he ends up that he ends up elsewhere. Um, just you know, it's lost a total of eleven scholarship players who had eligibility next season. Gabriel uh, Murphy and Grayson Murphy are the two guys who've already put their name into the NFL draft. We've heard there could be more. Um, Latu Latu is obviously going. He just hasn't announced it yet. Latu Latu's going. We've heard J. Michael Sturdivant, J. Toya, Kane Madrano are possibilities. We're not saying they're going. It's fluid. Anything, anything can happen. They could decide. They could come. They could, you know, decide not to. These are the things that are happening behind the scenes, and we're giving you some insight. Nothing is set in stone. Um, right now. Uh, UCLA's recruiting class that's combined of high school and transfer is ranked 60. What did I say? 62? 62. 62nd in the country, 17th in the Big Ten, only matched by Northwestern. Mm -hmm. Um, This is the worst recruiting result. And, you know, it might go up if they get a few more transfers, but it's not going to... Realistically, they can end up probably... Uh, because they only have they only have fifteen commitments. So yeah, let's say they add ten more guys. I think they end up somewhere north of twelfth. They probably end up twelfth or eleventh. Right, and overall probably fiftieth. Yeah, it, it will still be UCLA's worst worst recruiting class since two thousand and seven. That last Carl Durrell class. Yeah, we're only brought in seven guys. Yeah, so. This is this is not saying this is just high school recruiting because we know UCLA always has been emphasizing transfer. This is including transfer recruiting. We had said for months that this offseason transfer portal recruiting is going to be different. It's going to be predominantly about NIL. We don't see UCLA has the NIL to be competitive. Uh, things have changed. If this were Zach Chardonnay's year to... Charbonnet, uh, sorry, his year to transfer in, he probably wouldn't have looked at. He might coming local, but he could have attracted a lot of nil money to go someplace else. Uh, things have changed, and we said that months ago, and it has completely come to fruition. Um, in analyzing the depth chart, the defensive line is going to be decimated. I don't really know how else to say it. You talked about it. You listed it, but it just needs to be emphasized. Just decimated. The offensive line, 
we'll have 14 scholarship guys probably being really, really generous, maybe seven playable guys and might not be, might be one of the least talented offensive line from a starter standpoint and depth standpoint that we've ever seen. Yeah. I mean, seriously, that I've seen in, in maybe 25 years. Well, it's basically this year's offensive line without Duke Clemens. Yes. And you'll, and but we watched this year's offensive line guys. We so, so they'll get better because returning guys will usually get, but they have a, there is a ceiling on some of these guys. There aren't, there are no John Gaines on here that are developing and will be, and have the chance to play in the NFL. Let's put it that way. And then you're Duke Clemens left and you're replacing him with a younger uh, player that's developmental. So, uh, that's stunning right there. You just can't imagine these two lines of scrimmage doing well in the Big Ten, which is all about lines of scrimmage. Um, yeah. And we're not even talking about the secondary. I mean, you want to talk about this? I, I just did that. You talk about the secondary, Dave. So the secondary situation is basically this. UCLA has to weather two situations to have playable safeties next year. Marcus Ratcliffe going on visits in January and Brian Addison uh, getting eligible for a seventh year. I, I think I've talked about it. Um, I hope he does. I hope for the kid's sake he does. I I'd be stunned if he gets a seventh year because if you look at his profile, he doesn't match guys who get seventh years. To get a seventh year, to get that injury year, most of the time it's guys who lost two full seasons to injury or some other circumstance. Brian Addison has played in every single season he has been in college, and he started in college in 2018. In 2018, he played four games. Then he redshirted. You get one redshirt. 2019, he played. 2020 doesn't count, but he played. He didn't lose that year to injury, so there's no argument there. He played in 2020, the whole season. 2021, he played. 2022, he played. 2023, he plays four games and then sits out again, which would work as a redshirt year, except he already took his redshirt year in 2018. So the best argument you could make is that he has missed eight games his freshman year, if you could say it was injury, maybe you can, and eight games of 2023, if you want to say it's injury, you can. But that does not equal, when you've already played 54 college games, another year or at least it hasn't in any situation I've ever seen from the NCAA. So UCLA has to weather that to get him eligible. Marcus Ratcliffe got to weather some visits. If they don't get those guys. And wait, just to talk about Marcus Ratcliffe, because I put it in context, he wants to visit Texas A&M, correct? Yeah, they have money. They got money. Not just money. Um, as I said, the dead period will end, and then they'll have a visit weekend on the 12th and 13th. This is after UCLA's... Uh, winter quarter has started uh, that later in that week it starts monday the and 8th you can you can start like a weekend like you can right. do that at ucla but it's not it's, it's not, not ideal. ideal um but texas a&m uh they start on uh the monday the 15th yeah and he might also visit florida so there's there's a lot to watch there he's committed and he's you know from you know california so there's there's advantages but there's a lot to weather there um 
And on top of that, they're 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 losing Alex Johnson at nickel, so it's DJ Justice starting there. He played, but he he wasn't he didn't beat out Alex Johnson. If Ratcliffe and Addison both or one doesn't come back or doesn't uh, come to school and, and end up playing, it's redshirt freshman R.J. Jones, uh, redshirt sophomore Quint Stevens, neither of whom uh, did much of anything this year, potentially starting at safety. And that's just safety. Then you've got cornerback. Cornerback, uh, again, people have denigrated John Humphrey um, because I think it's some sort of coping mechanism. Uh, he ended up being UCLA's best corner this year and mm, by a pretty good margin. Uh, yeah, he had some moments where he got touchdowns caught on him. He was almost always there in coverage. He wasn't blowing coverages. Uh, his ball skills could use a little bit of work, but he has developed into a pretty nice corner. He's gone. Uh, should we should we say something, Tracy? There's no guarantee that this depth chart is going to go into next season intact. No, let's just exists. keep it. Let's keep it that we've uh, like I wrote. We've heard that there's possibility that some more. People so with eligibility. There's will no enter guarantee the that this is going to continue intact. So, John Humphrey, potentially other developments. Uh, so cornerback, not a great situation, and then safety is a potential disaster in the making still, uh, because those two situations that they've gotten, neither of them are done. So secondary, huge question mark right now. Huge. And then you've got the defensive line that Tracy went over. Linebacker, I would say, even if Kane Madrano decides to go, like even if he decides to go elsewhere, either NFL or what have you, you you got enough bodies there that I can see them being fine. But you could also see it not being fine. This defense is going to take a massive, massive, massive step back. And, and there's a question with this defense. Uh, I know it's always uh, a gray area and the answer is always right in between, but was it the scheme or was it the players you had, you had, it was both, but you had seriously one of the best, if not the best edge rushers in college football. And then you had two guys who were probably at least one guy was probably the second best edge rusher in the pac 12. Um, by the end, Darius Muisau was a good inside linebacker. Um, and like you said, that the secondary was, was... Now, if you're going to chalk that up to scheme, okay, well, the scheme's gone. <laughs> well, yeah. at least the, uh, the guy who does most of the, the scheme and the play call, and did all the play call is gone. But we've seen this before. So much of it is... Yeah, it's about scheme, but so much of it is, is about players too. So... So much of the talent on that team is gone. And remember, Dave. Dave's big thing is pass rush edge rushers. Mm -hmm. He's been wanting it for years and years and years, and he really finally got it this year. Yep. Now, don't think that. Remember, want, remember that feeling, Dave, of wanting it. No matter who they brought in, Keyshawn, Lucy, or Sal, anyone who they'd bring in who was supposed to. Just couldn't do it, couldn't get it done. And now they finally had it this year. More than likely, the odds are, and I'm being conservative here, that it goes back to that previous type of scenario. Yeah, they don't have an edge rush for next year. And then you think, and you've said it, if you're going to 
one key to a defense is you have to pressure the quarterback. And if you can't do it out of a, if you can't do it semi-regularly out of your base pass rush, then your, your defense is starting out as toast. Um, and it requires so much skill at the back end to make that not toast. And they're not going to have that either. So um, linebacker play, obviously hugely important. Linebacker play can take a bad defense to an below average defense, but pass rush can change a defense. And we saw that this year. And um, what I'd say about the, the split of, and this is another one, people poo-pooing Danton Lynn's impact because I want to address those folks as well. All of these guys, except for basically Femi Oladejo, were on the defense in 2022. And yes, they developed. Yes, they got better. Did they get uh, going from a top 100 defense to a top 20 defense better? No. No, they didn't. No. What happened was they got a defensive coordinator, one who has the ability to run an innovative scheme, who has the play-calling ability, who had some juice, and they suddenly got a lot better. Um, and yes, these guys developed and got better too, but it was it was the hire. And so now, I will say this, Chip Kelly could hire well again. I don't think the pieces are there for a defensive coordinator to do really well, but a good hire could make this just below average instead of an abysmal abomination. But it does require making a good hire, and that's going to be very hard to do this cycle even more than last year. Last year, they were coming off 9-4. and four. They were coming off a good, successful season, hiring somebody. You don't feel like you're signing on to a sinking ship. It makes sense for a guy like Danton Lynn to do it last year because he's an up-and-comer. Does it make sense for an up-and-comer to sign on to this this year? I'm... No. No, the only way it would be you're at a a, a a far lower program and you just want the step up to power five to prove yourself thinking at the least for one year. Don't forget all these coaches really think they're, they are the second coming. So I'll be able to go there and, you know, I understand Chip Kelly might only have one year left, but my defense will be spectacular and I'll use that as a stepping stone. Uh, or you're... Or you're a position coach, which Danton Lynn was. And don't forget, uh, Chip Kelly's got a a thing for the NFL. Um, I could see him looking and thinking, this is what coaches do. Look how successful Danton Lynn was. We snatched him from the NFL. I'll, I'll try to do this again. Um, Dave, that's, yes, a, that's enough. Let's go on to something. Something optimistic like uh, basketball? <laughs> Um, all right. Yeah. Let's just close with this. Cause it's, uh, yeah, it's pretty much easy. Um, basketball lost to CSUN on Tuesday. Uh, they're playing Maryland tonight, um, at 6 PM. Um, so I, I think there's, uh, like, obviously there's the people coming out of the woodwork to complain about Cronin for all the usual reasons, uh, because of the loss. Um, and, but like, there are people obviously with legitimate concerns. I have legitimate concerns after losing to CSUN, but the cautionary tale that we've been telling since the off season holds even now. Um, but I, I, I think people, I think it's one thing to hear. It's going to be rough. It's going to look rough. It's going to be 
it, it might look really bad for a while and then to experience it because right now it's very bad. CSUN was a horrible game, but they also haven't gotten over the hump in any of the other losses. Uh, they almost lost at home to UC Riverside. Um, there's there's some major problems right now. But there were also major problems as late as mid-January in Cronin's first year. And now people say, well, should we really be analogizing a, a coach's fifth year to his first year? Yes. And do you know why? Because it's basically the exact same roster thing, which is you've got a bunch of young players who haven't played before bunch of inexperienced, untrained guys who are all still learning how to row the boat in the same direction. Um, so there's a lot of that. But if you remember that year, you'll also remember Mick Cronin made his share of mistakes too. And those were obvious in real time and in retrospect. And this happens. Uh, he's trying to force feed certain things and certain guys because he has an idea coming into the season of who his guys are going to be and who his guys are are. are who are the guys who are going to perform? Uh, that year, Prince Ali was a huge piece of the puzzle in the early going and through mid-January. This was extremely frustrating for you. This was extremely frustrating for me. This was extremely frustrating for a lot of people. Cronin didn't deviate from that again until he started David Singleton, I think on January 15th, something like that. And suddenly things were better. Um, I don't see as obvious a problem this year. I know some people will point to Lazar Stavanovich's minutes. Some people will point to the two-post system. Um, I think both of those have their merits. I don't see anything as like, well, I guess say the, the two-post system, but there was a two-post system that first year as well. So that's the other, that's kind of the other analogy. I don't see a specific person's playing time issue as big of a problem as I saw Prince Ali in that first year. But there are some things. I mean, there's some, you know, what's going on with Alon Fabloy? Uh, what's going on with that two-post system? What's going on with a Dembona? These are things that can get figured out. A Dembona has a lot of pressure on him right now. He's being asked to be a focal point of the offense. He is, and I, I say this in kindness and as somebody who thinks a Dembona is uh, going to be a really, really good player and even at the professional level, he is not capable of being a focal point of the offense, and that strain is obviously wearing on him. He can't do it. And so at some point, they're going to realize that. At some point, McCronin's going to realize that. But it might be frustrating until that happens. And the thing is, it it Cronin is he's he's possessed of a lot more information and a lot more ideas about this than we are. And so when you see a guy not get some playing time, you might say, well, what the hell? He looked good in the last game. And so it becomes something like, well, actually, he's not practicing well, or actually, he's not doing this well. And, you know, I'm a big, you know, you can get too much information and you base too many decisions off of X, Y, or Z. But I also haven't won 72% of my college games at UCLA. Um, so, you know, you got to take what I say with a grain of salt. My point is, you may have legitimate micro-criticisms. You may have legitimate beefs. I have legitimate micro-criticisms and, you know, I have legitimate beefs. But on the broad spectrum of things, we have seen this movie before. We saw this exact same film in Cronin's first year, and it worked out by the end of the year. But we've seen versions of this in every single season he's had. 
He had Tiger Campbell behaving like Steph Curry at the beginning of last season. Does anyone remember that? Yeah, that 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 team turned out to be his best season and maybe UCLA's best team since '95. Um, yeah, the 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 previous year it was I think it was was it Johnny Juzang going off? What was the idea that year? I can't even remember. There have been so many ideas to start seasons. There was the two post system to start the first year. I remember that. Um, but the point is, uh, you can you can point at all these different minor things, but these teams always end up looking better in the spring. This would be the first one that doesn't if they don't. Yeah, yeah, that that's exactly it. Uh, it's very easy when you look at, let's just say, uh, other programs, and you say, is there a pattern of improvement throughout the season? Do they get better by the end? Are they playing better? Are the players better? And if there's a precedent of no, then you should say, wow, uh, first off, there's an admission that there are obvious concerns. But then you look at the coach in the program and say, have his team's gotten better throughout the year? Cronin has, there's a precedent of his team's improving. Does that mean they this one will? No, it doesn't. But it gives you a good basis to believe that it that it can, and you can easily see the scenario how it would. Um, the other thing that I just want to throw this in: the two post system. I get, I get, it gets a lot of criticism, but UCLA doesn't even use it that much. Uh, I mean, it starts the game and it plays for about seven minutes that way, maybe. Then Bona usually gets a second foul. <laughs> <laughs> or a Daimora is too tired. And then sporadically throughout the rest of the game. But Dave, how much is it really using that two-post system? Not that much. I so, mean, it's it's using it more than it... Uh, what I would say is it's more than it should. And the my... But my less bit, than what everyone talks about. Well, it, it is still a considerable amount. My my mm. objection to it is actually not so much just. I mean, the the Bona uh, Mara minutes aren't good, but it's when Bona gets in foul trouble and he brings Nuba in uh, instead of uh, a, a four to play alongside Mara, um, or vice versa when Mara gets fatigued and he brings in Nuba to play alongside Bona. Um, those minutes can't happen. Well, like, they just can't. That might change. Yeah. When go ahead, Dave. When Berke, Berke, Buyuk Tunjul comes back. Yes. Um, Dave was Which, Dave yeah. is impressing everyone with his pronunciation. Where were we? Where everyone was just knocked out. We by... were we were waiting to talk to Mick Cronin, and we oh, were talking yeah, yeah. to we were talking to Josh Lewin. We were talking. Oh, that's to right. Alex. That's we right. were talking to everybody, and we were like, and I was like, let me let me let me drop some dulcet tones in your ears. And right I now. think Josh Lewin was. He was blown away. Uh, not blo- uh, just also a little envious. He he, uh, he wanted to get that. He's a wow. That's he amazing. Made, he made a fair argument though, which is you don't actually want to nail it a hundred percent because then you sound like you're trying too hard. Yes. Like from a from a from an auditory standpoint, it doesn't sound right. You want to hit it good, but you don't want to hit it perfect because if you hit it perfect, you sound like you're trying to adopt a Turkish accent. Um, or when you say I'm going, I'm going to go have dinner in Los Feliz. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like I found myself saying, I, yeah. I, I, I find myself saying Berke, 
even though that's not quite right. Because it's not too much. Because it's not too much. But when I go, Barque, or whatever I'm trying to do, <laughs> it's like, no, you sound like you're it's trying pretty to, sexy, though. You're trying to, you sound like you're yeah. trying to seduce somebody. Don't yeah. do that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Uh, yeah, there's, uh, there's, uh, there's some wisdom there from Josh Lewin. Yes. Um, that's all I want to talk about. Okay, when it comes I, I, to basketball, I, I, I mean, I, I, that's where we are. There's there's a precedent for improvement under in Mick Cronin's program at this time of the year. Are there a lot of legitimate concerns? Of course. Will it turn around? We don't know. It very well might not improve. I mean, and everyone, uh, I personally think there are a lot of people who, for whatever reason, don't like McCronin and we're waiting for an opportunity. Uh, there are, like I said, a lot of legitimate concerns, but then a lot of what's being written on the forum is just way overboard. Well, and that's, I, I, I'll close with that because uh, my point isn't to stifle criticism because as I said, there's lots of criticisms. It's just when people get very macro about it, when they get very like, oh, this is, you know, McCronin sucks. And it's like, did we all have a fever dream for the last four years? Because I think it was good. Like, I think last year, don't we all agree that going into the NCAA tournament or going into the final game of the regular season when Jalen Clark got hurt, that they looked like one of the best three or four teams in the country? Like, don't we all agree with that? And before that, we had uh, we were watching a very successful program for the previous two and a half seasons. And now it's... You know, a struggle fest to start the season, which I think we all could have expected at some level. Maybe it's a little bit more of a struggle than we thought. I mean, losing to CSUN is not something you or I predicted, but... I missed that one. Yeah. But it's also... How how different is this from your expectations? And if it's that different, maybe you had a bad set of expectations. But also, if it isn't that different, and you're just using this opportunity to continue to bang a drum that you've been choosing every opportunity of even slight negativity to bang a drum, maybe reevaluate your own priors because this is like objectively speaking, uh, UCLA's best run of basketball, at least since the three Howland final fours. Um, and you can make an argument because last year's team was indeed better in the regular season than any of Howland's teams that it's slightly better. Um, you know, end result in the NCAA tournament notwithstanding. So maybe just do some introspection because I, you have you have on one side a very successful program that's uh, maybe hitting some roadblocks. Maybe, maybe it's just hitting some bumps in the road. Maybe it's hitting some skids, but it's been very successful. If you're going to give your benefit of the doubt to any program, it's that one, not the other one that's, you know, one one has been to there's a there's a final four college football playoff. One what if Chip Kelly had been to the college football playoff just two years ago? Well, and this I don't mean to keep going because I know we've got to get done. But here's here's the thing that I find insane, Tracy, is that people say like, and this is behind the curtain, but like criticisms that kind of bother me a little bit is this idea that we are doing this because of a relationship we have with the basketball coach or with the football coach or a lack thereof in certain cases. And I'm just like, are you watching these teams? Are you watching? Are you using your eyeballs to watch? Because I'll tell you this, I'm going to give, tell you to totally straight right now. Does the fact that we have a good relationship with the basketball program influence our coverage a little bit? Yes. 
Does the fact that we have a negative relationship with the football program make it so that we can say things that we maybe wouldn't say if we had a good relationship? Yes. Would it change drastically if football was really good and basketball was really bad? Yes, because the primary the primary impetus for our writing and for our coverage, for our opinions, is whether or not you're doing well. That's it. When Ben Halland started to do poorly, you know what? Tracy had a really good relationship with Ben Halland. They used to go out. They used to have fun. When it started to go poorly, when it, when it started to go poorly, you know what happened? Tracy wrote that it went poorly. You know what relationship died when he did that? The one with Ben Halland. But we have a job to do. But wait, wait, wait. No, that's not exactly accurate. So Ben Halland, I hadn't seen him for a few months after I think that was the story that I wrote where uh, it was like Rick Neuheisel too. And I said, the bigger program to worry about is the UCLA basketball program than football. And everyone freaked out. And I had been writing critically about, about the basketball program. And it was after the season and we were going into the July basketball recruiting period. And I saw Halland and he said, Tracy, I, I want to talk to you. <laughs> you do a better Halland. And anyway, so he at the uh, watched a few games. And he goes, let's go to Menchie's. There is a Menchie's down the street in Las Vegas. And funny, he's... <laughs> this woman's in there with her two kids and the kids are running around and, and Ben's going, kids, listen to your mom. <laughs> he literally is directing them in the Menchies. It was a classic. So I think I'm going to catch hell for what I've been writing. And he said, I, I just want to tell you, I'm not doing the accent. Um, I don't agree with what you've been writing and I think you're way off base. Um, but I know you have to do it. That's your job. You need to be objective, even though you're wrong. <laughs> but I don't want that to to change our relationship. And, you know, I think that's good. And I'd like to keep this. I mean, he had that amount of class. Jim Mora got more, got madder at me than any coach I've ever ex had um, that I ever covered. I mean, like calling me up and yelling at me on the phone at times. But then he would call me back and say the exact thing after I'd written a lot of criticism, say the pretty much the exact same thing that Ben Halland did. So I just wanted to clarify. Well, I, but I, but uh, now you can correct me if I'm wrong, but by that was in 2009 when you wrote that. By the time he was done, you guys weren't talking, you and Halland. Um, it wasn't. Yeah, we weren't talking because he had other, <laughs> he had other things going on. You know, yeah, it, but I it guess wasn't, my point, yeah, I guess my point is that I, what your point is, is that I was willing to sacrifice the relationship for writing objectively and, right. and critically. And this is, but that's the whole, he point. threw his menchies at me. Okay. He threw a whole thing of ice cream at my face. No, you had it coming. <laughs> um, but I guess my point is like this idea that, okay, we're humans, we're people. We like to be treated nicely. Yeah, sure. And we like to treat other people, you know, golden rule, fine. But our job is to cover these things as they are. If we don't do that, then we stop getting subscriptions because people who are smart, you listening right now, understand that if they're telling me something is good when it is bad, I shouldn't pay them money because they're insane or stupid. But one of the two, I'm not going to pay them money. 
football has done poorly, so we've written that it's been bad. Basketball has done well, so we've written that it's good. Uh, that's it. That's the fundamental rules of the road for us. And so, and I right think now, we've proven ourselves recently, right? Yeah, it's just I I, 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 I understand people want. They always want an explanation. They always want the underlying story. They always want the like conspiracy, like oh, it's a, it's all a de- grand design. To, the agenda, to, to, the agenda, yeah, yeah. and it's like yeah, our agenda. You know what is our, yeah is that this goes well. Uh, well, so and our, our ag- and our agenda is that our agenda is to write as objectively as possible. That's what we're trying to do. We're here. We're still here. Twenty five years later, other. Sites have come and gone because they, they most of the time they're just palm palm waving, and while it's caused us a lot of flack and some blowback, um, I, I believe that's why we're still here is because we've decided to do it this way. And it's not that we decided. You and I just happen to meet, and we are kind of the same ilk. Where this is, we can't do it any other way. Yeah. So anyway, that's the whole point. So if. Uh, anyway, I, I know people are going to continue to levy that criticism. It's just, it, it's, it's this idea that it's not a long-term business that doesn't rely upon subscriptions, that doesn't rely upon a reputation for, uh, honesty about this stuff. That's like, uh, you don't under, like, it's like, oh, you just don't understand things. Like your brain doesn't work right. Like it just doesn't, that's, that's the problem because you're, you, you just fail to understand how a business works because we can't build a business by telling people the sky is blue when it's white. Like we can't, that's, that's not the way a, a subscription news and analysis business works. And, and there's so many times when we are delivering the information of what's happening. And like I wrote recently, it can be so overwhelming. We like this podcast, <laughs> it it's pretty depressing. But and there are times when Dave and I have literally said, "Okay, we have this fact, this information. Wow, this is really depressing. If we release this right now, <laughs> I mean, we talk about this all the time. Uh, we're trying, we're trying to um, uh, think about and consider your feelings here. We we seriously are. If we just wrote it straight all the time, oh my gosh, I, I think we'd be responsible for you uh, inflicting some self." damage um so we are we are doing this job the best we can we're delivering the information and and the facts and we think we're trying to do it in a way that serves it up palatable because it could be a we could make it a lot worse and it wouldn't be our opinion yeah yeah all right i gotta do one other thing one other, like 30 seconds. Okay, ready to go. Got another criticism. People saying, uh, why don't you say this to Chip Kelly's face? Uh, <laughs> like when I wrote my This is Embarrassing last night or when I wrote. Um, yeah, Dave, so many guy, people texted me and said, Dave's finally losing it. So, and, and I got I, I to gotta address this because what is it you want to see? Like think, like again, do some introspection. What is it you want? Because what purpose would that serve? So right now. Just think about that. Just stop right there. What purpose does it serve for Dave to find Chip Kelly and say, coach, this is embarrassing. What purpose? And on camera. 
and on camera to do that. Is and it kind of some macho face to face thing? I think I think so. First, I think people are assessing my writing as fighting words, which is such a misunderstanding of like again, life, uh, being a public figure, my job. Like all these things, but and, and it wasn't even that wasn't as much of an indictment of Chip Kelly, actually. No, no, no. Yeah. I, I, if you misassess the target of that one, it was not Chip Kelly. Yeah. Uh, let's let's be real, guys. But okay. All that being said, it's uh, I'm putting my real name on the things I write and say. I go to campus and see these things. Our website is read every day by people in the athletic department in Morgan Center, in the football offices. If they had anything they wanted to say to me about the things I write or the things I say, they can say them in all of the different instances where I show up on campus to do my job. They don't because it doesn't serve any purpose for them either. I'm writing to you. I'm not writing to them. I'm writing to you, the people who subscribe to our website or the people who uh, read it, uh, in other ways. Um, and you are my audience, not them. But it's and, not, and it's th- not like that faced it. Would you say it to his face? You, you pretty much are. I mean, you're writing it publicly <laughs> and it's and in, it can be in his face. I, I mean, it's not like we're hiding it somewhere and whispering it behind his, it's pretty out there guys. I mean, like I, I, I'm not because there's some physical <laughs> macho mono a mono no, thing to say think, it to his face. They think it's fighting words, and they would okay. like an additional oh, bit of. They theater. want the spectacle. They want yeah. They you want and Chip Kelly to throw down. Exactly. They want an additional bit of theater. They want me to ask him. And the thing is, I did a little bit of that after the ASU game, where I asked him something like, "Hey, you're 33 and 33. What's that feel like?" Or some shit <laughs> like that. And it's like, oh, that just felt bad. That that felt well not because good. you're not really going to get anything from confrontational no. questions well, and I don't, anyway. Nothing sensitive at all. It's odd behavior. It's yeah. odd, like super antagonistic to do that to somebody. Put them on the spot addressing something like that. That's ridiculous. Like TJ TJ Simers never really derived any information out of his. All no, it was was spectacle. Just theater. Yeah. It's just spectacle. And people who it want was, that. It was kind of fun to watch TJ do that, but that's not that's not us. They either have an, a vision in their mind that like Chip Kelly is going to like unman me, or they just want to watch something fun. And either way, I think it's just I, I mean, don't think it's that, Dave. I think it's just some weird macho mono I just it's that, stupid. say it to his face. It's just dumb. And yeah. the thing is with all of that stuff, it's just uh, none of these are actually fighting words. Like referring to the program in its current state as embarrassing, that is a descriptor for you, the fans. Like that's not me saying, "Hey, Chip Kelly, you are an embarrassment." Yeah, Those Dave was saying he it. was embarrassed. <laughs> yes, I'm embarrassed as an alumnus of this. And also, Dave has put in um, requests for interviews. By the way, <laughs> yeah, I have. <laughs> Uh, it's not exactly like Dave's cowering away from interviews. Yeah. He'll meet anyone anytime to do an interview. <laughs> Trust me. <laughs> I'm always down to talk. I'm yeah. a talker. Yeah. Anyone wants to come of, on this podcast, we ready. Yeah. yeah. Anybody wants to come on, we're, we're happy to talk at all times. It'll be a day I'm gone and Dave can do it. But yeah. I'm a polite fellow. <laughs> you are uh, polite. 
Yeah, I am. I'm a. I am a. I am a. I am a hostess with the most. You have your airs. Mm, I do. I do. I okay. Got, let's I, end I this. It's an hour and a half. This is a long time. People are slitting their wrists at this point. Yeah, they're they're doing it. This. All right. The, hey guys, seriously, happy holidays. Enjoy yourself. Time to be with family and and really appreciate and acknowledge and relish in the things that you have. Yeah, and let me say this. We love you all. You're all fantastic. You all are the reason, literally, that we can do this. Um, And I know it's a dark period for UCLA football, but I'll say this. I am still long-term bullish on the prospects for UCLA. It may get darker for a little bit here, but it's some good things are going to happen again. It's just right now there is a deficit of leadership, a deficit of vision, and that is hurting UCLA. But there's 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 always there's always hope on the horizon when it's um, a school with as much history, with its geographical placement um, and with uh, its many well-heeled alums and fans, which are you, the people. We love you. But uh, yeah, no, that's not just a throwaway thing. We really do. I mean, it's year end. So, you know, it's time to say this. We really do appreciate y'all. uh, we we're doing this not just for ourselves. We're doing this because, yeah, the forums can get a little crazy sometimes. There are people out there arguing, but the vast majority. I have so many people come up to me and say, "Long time subscriber. Oh, do you post? No, I'd never do that." <laughs> <laughs> um, quite often that happens, and I speak with these people, and they're completely sane human beings, and I I do believe the vast majority of everyone out there who is a bro subscriber or or uh just reader are have been so supportive of us and really so amazing uh we so appreciate it one quick story i was in luskin one day and this man came up to me and said are you tracy pearson i said yeah he goes oh my god i'm such a fan this is incredible um it's so great to meet you and he was with his daughter and um he said, this makes my trip. This is incredible. I, I mean, this is just so amazing. Uh, you know, I love bro, blah, blah, blah. And his daughter like whispers to me, he's here to get, and I can't remember what the, but it was some amazingly prestigious award. And he was saying <laughs> what made his trip was to meet me, which was so stupidly, uh, you know, absurd. Yeah. But that really not was at all, uh, you know, flattering, but it was also, it, it made me, just realize, you know, how much this means to you all and how much it means to us. Yes, you're all lovely. And we wish you all an extremely happy holiday season. And we will be back again uh, post uh, Christmas. Next, next. Oh, well, yeah. Well, that great week be- between Christmas and when we're going to have to make up a lot of stuff. We'll to all talk. be fat and happy, though. Yeah, fat and happy. All right. For Tracy Pearson, I'm David Woods, Bruin Report Online. We'll talk to you again next time. See you all.